0: Every episode of this podcast is about true things that have happened at some point or another on this planet. Each episode is different from the next, and they are each centered around stories that are odd, outlandish, or of the occult. This podcast will include foul language. This podcast may also include themes of graphic content such as murder, rape, or gore, listeners' discretion, and advised. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Episode 7. We have made it. We have come so far. This episode is going to be a special one. I am very excited to talk about this monster. I have been fascinated with this creature for a few weeks now. Oh, but speaking of creatures and monsters, let us introduce ourselves. My name is Autumn, and this is... (coughs) Serial killers have always intrigued me. I have always been interested in humans who are not quite human anymore. The what's, when's, where's, why's and who's. What was this person's breaking point? When did this person decide to kill? Where were they in life when they just snapped? Why did they go from fantasizing about murdering to doing the actual deed? Who was it that pushed this person over the edge?
1: Dunno, but you're well on your way to finding out.
0: Love you! Everybody, uh, that's evidence, just in case I come up dead, that he is the first person that you need to, uh, investigate. No. I mean, the partner's always the first person they investigate anyways, so... Don't kill me.
1: I make no promises.
0: When I was a kid, before the internet existed, I would go to the library and check out books about Charles Manson and Hitler and any monster I can get my hands on. As an adult... I have watched a lot of documentaries and most recently dove heavily into podcasts such as Serial Killers and Red-Handed.
1: Ooh, I love those Red-Handed ladies. You even bought some of their merch, didn't you? Maybe one day we'll be that famous.
0: One day. Someday. A few weeks ago, I listened to a podcast about Otis Toole. After I listened to the podcast, I watched a few documentaries about him. I became obsessed with learning everything I could find out about the guy. Of all the monsters out there, what makes Otis special? You are about to find out.
1: That's kind of rude, man. Sure he was, you know, special. But it wasn't his fault. That's not what
0: I meant. Anyways, sometimes a child is born and they are doomed from the start. Sometimes a child is born and they have no chance at a normal life. Sometimes a child is born. Otis Elwood Toole was born on the 5th of March in 1947 in Jacksonville, Florida. His parents were called Bill and Sarah. He had a bunch of siblings as well, but we're just going to talk about his older sister. Her name was Drusilla. It's a shame. I really love her name, but the Drusilla in this story is a monster as well. This is just a story full of horrible people. So pause this now. Go get yourself a beverage. Whatever comforts you. Maybe a snack. If you have a weak tummy, though, maybe not.
1: Psh! We've spoken about Slayer and a Serbian film. How bad can it be?
0: We don't talk about that second thing that you just said, Daniel.
1: What second thing?
0: Exactly. So Odysseus' mother, Sarah, was a Christian extremist.
1: The horror! The horror! <laughs>
0: She mentally and physically abused Otis. She would make him wear girls' clothing and makeup. She would call him Becky or Susan, and she would make family members and friends call him those names, too.
1: What about Atisha? Did they ever call him that?
0: No, because Otis' mom was a dumb hillbilly, and she didn't understand, like, other names besides Becky or Susan.
1: Are Becky and Susan hillbilly names?
0: I mean, they're not very clever names.
1: They're nice names. They're pretty names, just like Otis'. (laughs)
0: so the difference between letting your child express themselves and figuring out their identity is vast compared to forcing your male child to wear dresses purely to humiliate them this emotional abuse started when Otis was a toddler and went on into his early teens
1: so I don't want to condone this behavior but I feel like we're beginning to paint a picture here to suggest that the monster Otis is to become is perhaps not entirely his own fault and if we are And without knowing his mother's past, we can't condemn her to the depths of hell just yet either. Perhaps she went through her own shit, and perhaps she just really wanted another daughter.
0: You know, you're right. Abuse does tend to just pass on down the family tree. You know, like, maybe his great-grandmother abused his grandmother, and then his grandmother abused his mother. You know, that's just the way the world goes. Otis's father, Bill, was an alcoholic, and he would have his friends come over to buy his boy. Yeah, he sold Otis at a very young age to his pedophile friends. This sexual abuse started when Otis was five and went on until his father left the family when Otis was around 10 years old.
1: Okay, daddy goes to hell.
0: Indeed. Otis's sister, Drusilla, was just three years older than him, but she also molested and sexually abused Otis. Maybe she watched everyone else abusing him, and thought that this was just the thing to do, and she thought it was normal, so she did it too? Who knows.
1: Yeah, okay. I'm not gonna sit here and try to justify any more of this behavior. Not until I know more, anyway. Go on.
0: Drusilla died in 1981, when she was just 37. We will talk more about her later. Otis's grandmother, Cornelia Tool, also known as Neely, was the only person in his family who did not abuse him. It is said that Neely was a practicing Satanist and would bring Otis with her on grave robbing missions so that she could harvest body parts for her rituals. I mean, I guess some people would consider this a type of abuse as well, but honestly, if everyone in your family is trying to fuck you and the one person who isn't trying to fuck you is simply teaching you about the occult, I think Neely can be forgiven here.
1: I guess. As long as her rituals didn't involve taking partly decomposed schlongs in the front and the rear. Whoa. So yeah, she dubbed Otis the devil's child.
0: That was her sweet little nickname for him.
1: Oh, yeah. so
0: sweet. When Otis was just ten years old, he came out to his family as being gay.
1: They must have been shocked.
0: That's not funny. When he was 12, he struck up his first consenting sexual relationship with a neighborhood boy. Otis had a tough time during his school years. He suffered from epilepsy. Epilepsy sucks. I've personally known two people in my life who have epilepsy. The seizures are intense, and when you come out of them, you have this, like, brain fog, and it's really hard to come back to reality. And the seizures can happen at any time. People with epilepsy are not allowed to drive because of this. So not only did Otis have epilepsy, but people assumed that he had mental retardation.
1: Wow. You've gone from special to retarded in mere minutes. Can't we say Gump-like or Lenny-esque?
0: That's just what they called it back in the day. I you know, it's kind of, it's, it's very, um, not PC these days to say mental retardation.
1: But accurate.
0: Personally, I do not think that he had mental retardation. He did suffer from ADHD and had dyslexia. These things paired with being physically and mentally abused since birth can absolutely hinder anyone's ability to sit through a math test. So if you look at photographs of Otis, he does have a certain look about him. He looks like an inbred hillbilly. I'm sorry, but it's true.
1: Yeah, and he wasn't a small fella. So if you covered him in dirt, he'd look like a hill. With eyes.
0: (laughs) But if you watch the interviews with him speaking and moving and being alive and animated, you can see into his eyes. And his eyes? There is a certain intelligence there. A spark of madness, sure, but you can see he's smarter than people give him credit for.
1: Yeah, what I've seen of him, I wondered if it was just an act to some extent. I mean, it's easy to call illiteracy dyslexia at that age, right? Can't just sit still and stop eating people's face off for five minutes? Better give that guy some (laughs) riddling.
0: True story. When Otis was 14, he dropped out of school and began hanging around gay bars in Jacksonville and quickly became a sex worker. One night, a traveling salesman picked him up and propositioned Otis for sex. With the car engine still running, the pair got out and stood in front of the car. While the businessman was undoing his trousers, Otis ran back to the car and ran over the man until he was dead. This was Otis' first murder. He was never arrested or charged for this crime.
1: Harsh. Getting run over repeatedly until you die is not an orgasm.
0: Maybe it was for that guy.
1: Mm, I'm gonna say no. No. No, probably not.
0: Is that a thing? Like, wanting to die? Is that a sexual motivation for some kind of kinks, maybe? Like...
1: I mean, you've seen the movie Crash, right? Mm, I don't know. Have I? No, probably not. You are incredibly uncultured.
0: You're so fucking rude. So, Otis was first arrested when he was 17 for loitering.
1: Oh, oh what? We've tried this so many times now. It's loitering, and that's what he was arrested for.
0: Loitering. And then from the ages of 19 until he was 26, everything becomes a little muddled. There are no arrest records for him during that time, and Otis did not have a lot to say about those years in all of his interviews. People think that he just spent the whole time drifting across America.
1: Running over pedophiles.
0: Probably. So it's 1974. Otis is 27 years old and now living in Nebraska. A woman called Patricia Webb is killed in Lincoln. They find her partially nude corpse at a vacant farm underneath a pile of hay.
1: Did they have trouble finding her?
0: Yes, her middle name was Needle. <laughs>
1: Uh, Well, I guess I won't finish that joke then.
0: (laughs) What was your finishing part? That. Oh, holy shit. (laughs) Well done. Thanks. She was shot to death with two different guns, presumably by two different shooters. Her body was not abused or mutilated, so the cops thought she was a victim of a robbery or killed because she was acting as an informant for the police.
1: Snitches get stitches.
0: Or lots of bullets. Bullets. Otis was among many suspects in this crime, and he never confirmed nor denied killing the woman, but he did leave Nebraska shortly after he was accused and migrated to Colorado. Patricia Webb's case is still open to this day. So it's September 19th, 1974. A lone gunman invaded a massage parlor in Colorado Springs. Employee Yan Lee was stabbed, her throat slashed, before the attacker moved on to rape, shoot, and stab her co-worker's son, Ok Cousin. Both women were set on fire, but Yon Lee survived to describe her assailant as clean-shaven, six foot two, and 195 pounds, driving a white pickup truck. On October 10th, just a month later, 31-year-old Ellen Holman was abducted from Pueblo, Colorado, shot three times in the head, and dumped near the Oklahoma border. Otis was a suspect in these crimes as well, so he ran back to Jacksonville.
1: Mommy, Mommy, I
0: missed you. Please finger my bum bum. No, 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 no. But why, mummy? Because you've been a bad boy. Oh, God. <laughs> this is getting weird. And hot. No, stop it. <laughs> Fuck. Otis Tool loved fire. He was a pyrophiliac. This means that he was sexually aroused by fire and the act of starting fires.
1: This is different from pyromania, where the gratification is not sexual in nature.
0: Thank you for that. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. I believe that he was the perpetrator of the massage parlor crime that took place in Colorado Springs, and so do a lot of authorities. So Otis is back in Jacksonville, and he is now 28 years old. He meets and marries a woman who is 25 years older than him, but she quickly figures out that Otis is a homosexual, and she leaves after just three days of marriage. Why would Otis get married to a woman? Maybe he was trying to compartmentalise his savage life and try to live out something more of a normal one. Who knows?
1: Maybe he missed Drusilla. Ew. So it's claimed that Otis lived with his wife, Novella, his niece and nephew, his mother and her new husband, and that he would bring home guys to fuck, but also got off on watching them fuck his wife and niece, who was 11 years old at that time. I guess his mother rubbed off on him all those years ago. Like... Literally, probably.
0: Fucking gross! Ew! A year later, Otis is chilling in his favorite soup kitchen and he meets the love of his life, Henry Lee Lucas. I don't want to talk about Henry too much here. I feel like Otis gets overshadowed by Henry quite a lot. Henry, if you don't know, is called the confession killer. He was infamous because he was arrested for one murder, and he went on to confess to several hundred more. But Otis and Henry did travel together across the US, and they did commit lots and lots of murders together, and they were absolutely in love.
1: So was this after the murder of the police informant chick who was shot by two different weapons? Yeah, I don't think Otis did that one. You don't think so? Nah, that sounds like some kind of hit, like two different guys, two different guns because she was an informant.
0: But he might have had a friend with him at that time too, that was just unnamed.
1: Maybe, yeah, I thought about that. Yeah. Could be. Other Henry.
0: Other Henry. Henry, pre-Henry.
1: <laughs> Pre-Henry. I don't know. Good God.
0: Okay. Odys and Henry claimed that they were doing a lot of their murders at the behest of a satanic cult called the Hands of Death. They confessed to this right before the satanic panic of the 1980s and maybe helped kickstart the whole thing. We should do an episode about the satanic panic because it was absolutely ridiculous.
1: Ooh, yeah, we can talk about Slayer some more.
0: Yay. As far as I can tell, the Hands of Death cult never actually existed, but, like, if you're a whole-ass satanic cult, then you really don't want info about your cult all over the internet, now do ya?
1: Why not? Satanists are great people. They're just misunderstood by idiots, hence the satanic panic. Of course, murderers claiming to be acting on their behalf probably don't help.
0: What kind of Satanists are you speaking of though? Are you talking about the Anton LaVey Satanists or actual Satan worshippers?
1: No, I mean like Satanists who are just regular nice people.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's the sound of pain! Otis and Henry took Otis's niece and nephew, Becky and Frank, with them on some of these road trips. Otis's sister, Drusilla, was heavily into drugs and severely neglected her two children.
1: Then perhaps they were better off, given her track record.
0: Fucking right? Oh my god. Some say that Drusilla killed herself, and some say that she just accidentally overdosed, but after she died, Henry ended up running off with Becky, leaving Otis behind. And then Henry got tired of having Becky around after a while and killed her too.
1: Becky was probably just really annoying, right?
0: Um, yeah, Henry actually said that she was acting like a nagging wife, and that's why he ended up murdering her, but he went on later to say that he regretted killing her because she was the only woman he ever loved.
1: Beautiful.
0: Dan wants me to write better segues, so this is my better segue. I'm just gonna go right into it. America's Most Wanted. The TV show ran from 1988 till 2012 and was picked up again in 2021 for a new season, Arguably, this show would have never existed if it wasn't for
1: Otis Tool. Thanks, Otis. In
0: 1981, the year I was born, a little boy called Adam Walsh was just minding his own business at a Sears store. Adam was playing an Atari video game that was on display while his mom wandered off to do some shopping. She came back to collect Adam a little bit later, and he was gone. Otis had approached Adam and told the boy that he had toys and candy in his car.
1: Classic. Way easier than pretending to load a mattress into your van with a broken arm. That's a Ted
0: Bundy reference.
1: No, it's not. It's not? It's a Buffalo Bill reference. Oh. Did Ted... Wait.
0: Ted Bundy did the broken arm thing as well.
1: He did that before Buffalo Bill?
0: I don't know. when Buffalo Bill was a fictional character. Yes. So, yeah. So, when they created the character Buffalo Bill, they actually took a lot of stuff from other serial killers and Ted Bundy was one of them.
1: No shit.
0: Yeah. Huh. So back to Adam. He was six years old, and in 1981, Stranger Danger was not a thing that was taught to children. Yet.
1: Yeah, I don't know that that's true, man. Maybe the kid was just a little gumpy.
0: What is gumpy?
1: Like, Forrest Gump-like. A little slow. (laughs)
0: Okay. No, he was just a normal-ass kid, dude.
1: Not physically slow, because, you know, gump. Oh, he, Ran like the wind, uh, but just, you know, mentally no. a little bit.
0: No, he was probably a sheltered little child in nineteen eighty-one.
1: He was in Sears playing an Atari video game. He exactly. was sheltered. He was privileged.
0: Usually privileged kids are sheltered. They kind of come hand in hand. I'd like to come hand in hand. Okay. So Adam went with Otis. They drove away. The further they got away from the mall, the more panicked Adam became. So Otis punched the boy in the face and then he punched him again, and again, until he was finally subdued. Otis then drove off onto a deserted service road. He strangled Adam with his seatbelt. Click it or choke. He dragged Adam out of the car onto the ground and grabbed his machete out of the trunk. He decapitated Adam. Otis took Adam's body to an old refrigerator and placed it inside. Then he lit the body and the refrigerator on fire. He discarded Adam's head into a ravine. We <laughs> Fucking fucked up dude! God damn it! <laughs> when Otis confessed to this crime and he was asked why he did it, Otis said
1: I wanted to make him my son! You failed Otis. It was a valiant effort. A good try. But you failed.
0: Or did he? And now Adam is his son forever. Forever. In the outer darkness. We. <laughs> so back to my point about America's Most Wanted. After Adam was killed, his father, John Walsh, created the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So when America's Most Wanted was in its infancy, the creators looked at John as a potential candidate for the host for the show. John agreed to host a pilot episode, and the rest was history. So John actually hosted that show for a really, really long time, and he was that show. The show went on to help capture over 1,200 fugitives during its run.
1: (laughs) Fugitives. Run. I see what you did there.
0: Yeah, I meant to do that.
1: Did you really, though? Yeah. That was pretty smart. I like it. So on January 12th, 1982 tool barricaded 64-year-old George Sonnenberg in his own home and set the house alight. George died a week later of his injuries. Otis claimed to have been in a sexual relationship with George and did what he did following a lover's tiff. In
0: 1983, Otis was arrested in Jacksonville for an unrelated arson. This was when he began to confess all of his crimes. Oddly enough, Henry was also arrested this same year in Texas. He also began to confess. Henry confessed to crimes that he committed, yeah, but also he confessed to a lot of stuff he had nothing to do with. He did this for attention and other reasons. I believe that all of the crimes that Otis confessed to were true, though.
1: What makes you think that?
0: Just, I don't know. There's just something about him that is so mesmerizing.
1: Mesmerizing.
0: I just look into his wonky eyes and his I'm like... His
1: wonky hillbilly eyes.
0: He, he did the things, man. He's fucking evil, bro.
1: In April 1984, Toole was convicted and sentenced to death in Jacksonville, Florida, for Sonnenberg's murder. Experts at his trial had testified that Toole suffered from paranoid schizophrenia.
0: During an interview, he admitted to also killing 19-year-old David Shallert, a hitchhiker he picked up east of Pensacola, Florida, who had been found four years earlier with five gunshots to the head. He also confessed to being involved in the 1983 murder of Ada Johnson. Toole confessed that he shot her in the head on a road outside of Fort Walton Beach, Florida after picking her up at a Tallahassee nightclub.
1: For all of this, Toole may well have been sentenced to the death penalty, but after an appeal wound up with life in prison. Fun fact, while in prison, Otis briefly stayed in the cell adjacent to serial killer Ted Bundy in Florida's Rayford Prison. I wonder if they exchanged notes. Love notes? I mean, that got weird. <laughs> I don't know if Ted Bundy was that way inclined just because Otis was. Oh,
0: should we write like Ted Bundy, Otis, Tool fan fiction?
1: Or oh, like maybe we should make an Otis and Ted Bundy porno where they're fucking through the bars.
0: No, I was just saying fan fiction, that's bad enough. But you just went to the porno route. Okay, we're on a tangent again. While in prison, Otis wrote letters. Everyone was saying that he was mentally retarded and illiterate. But he wrote letters. To the press. To Disney World. And he even wrote to John Walsh asking for money. They never found Adam's body. All they found was his head. So Otis told John that he would tell him where his son's body was for five grand.
1: Bargain? Did he pay up? Did they find it? Was it at Disney World?
0: I don't know, but I tried to find more about him writing to Disney World, and I couldn't find shit, and it was very disappointing, but I thought that was a fun fact to put in there that he actually did write to Disney.
1: I mean, he was probably trying to tell them where the body was.
0: Telling Walt Disney, hey, this is where the body is. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha! And we'll get sued. Otis killed anywhere between 6 and 65 people. He was a rapist, a necrophiliac, a pyrophiliac, a serial arsonist, and a self-proclaimed cannibal. Cannibalism is hard to prove so nobody actually knows if he actually ate anyone. He probably did, but Otis was sentenced to life in prison. He died on September 15, 1996, of liver complications and was buried in a prison cemetery as no one claimed his body.
1: I guess his grandmother was no longer around then.
0: No, no definitely not. She was old when he was tiny. So, what makes a killer kill?
1: Kittens!
0: Why? I don't know. Do they have, like, telepathic things that, like, tell you, hey, you must scoop my shit and murder people?
1: Scoop my shit and kill money.
0: Yes, please. Feed me. And go kill your neighbor and bury him in the garden.
1: I mean, maybe they do. Why else do we do it? I'm literally sitting down there scooping their shit and spending all my money feeding them. They've got to have something on us, right?
0: We are slaves to the kittens. We are
1: slaves to the kittens. Murder
0: kittens. (laughs) Are people born bad or are they made bad? This is the question that true crime folks love to ask. I think the answer is that they are made bad. I don't think anyone is just born evil. That being said, some people are born and they have a perfect upbringing and they are raised right and have all the opportunities handed to them, yet they still end up doing the murders like Ted Bundy.
1: I think that people are born with defects or damage that makes it such that they will be predisposed to mental disorders, some of which might lead to this kind of behaviour. But yeah, I'd probably agree that most stems from external factors rather than genetics. And fingering. Lots of fingering. Oh, God. <laughs>
0: So that's it. That's Otis Tool in a nutshell. That's like Otis Tool for Dummies. That's the cliff notes for Otis Tool. If you want to research more about him, please go search for him on YouTube. You can find all kinds of fun stuff. He's a really interesting monster. Fingering. Oh my god. <laughs> is, that a, is that a good outro? Fingering? Fuck. The end. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, come support us on Patreon at Seven circle Fuck.
1: you should probably know the name of your own podcast or you want to say that again
0: thank you for listening if you like what you hear come support us on patreon at seven Circle pod <laughs> sorry, you go you read it just read it
1: one more time you've got this but get it right and everyone stick around because there's way more cool shit coming up after we read this.
0: Come support us on Patreon at 7 Circles Pod. Your donations and support can help us elevate the quality of our podcast, and it would mean so much to us.
1: Please do it, because otherwise I've got to put her on the fucking streets, man. <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> oh, is, wait, this is my bit. This is your bit. Oh, <laughs> I get to go in it. This episode of 7 Circles was written by Autumn Vale and Dan Griffiths. 7 Circles is produced by Autumn Vale with sound editing by Dan Griffiths. Original music by Null Machine and art by Caroline Gates. They're both awesome.
0: You can find us on social media at Facebook at Seven Circles Podcast, Instagram at Seven underscore Circles underscore Pod, and Twitter at Seven Circles Pod.
1: And we lied. There's nothing else. There's Bye. nothing else. We're
0: not going to sing a song or anything. Fingering. Why are you fingering? Fisting. Ugh.